Thanks for listening to our Faith Church podcast. Let's listen to today's message. Well, last week, Pastor Steve preached a powerful, powerful message. I always have a little notebook. I, I always say, I'm not like Pastor Rob. He's, I'm not as techy as he is. He, he does this thing with his phone here. I can't do that, brother. So I have my own little pen and a nice little piece of paper. Pray for me. But Pastor Steve preached a powerful, powerful message. I took notes. He talked about overcoming weakness in the believer's lives. Weakness in believer's lives. And he talked about the power that overcomes that weakness. The power that overcomes weakness is the power of the Holy Spirit. Powerful message. He said that we need to take time every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every day we need to take time. And furthermore, he said we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. You know, when you start hearing words like that, that's not just an invitation. That's a charge. We have to make a choice. It's not an option. We have to make a choice to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Either he's active or he's dormant. And it made me even question, Lord, I want you to be active in my life. I want you to be active every day in my life. And so as I was thinking about the message this Sunday, I felt the Lord kind of encourage me and tell me, I want you to continue to speak in the vein that Pastor Steve spoke on last Sunday. So this morning we're going to continue talking uh, in the same ballpark about the church and what God is saying to the church. We're not talking about those outside the church. I believe that the days that we're living in right now, that the messages that we're hearing from this pulpit and other pulpits, the Holy Spirit is using those messages to make God's people ready for the coming of the Lord. I believe that we're living in a day right now that we can, we can sincerely say that we, we can expect to see the coming of the Lord. Nobody knows the day and the hour, and I'm not saying that. But I believe that with all the things that are going on, with the hurricanes and all the, 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 the unrest in the world today and all the divisiveness and all the things that Jesus said was going to happen, we are seeing in our generation take place. And I believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is to prepare the church for the coming of the Lord. And so I believe that uh, this morning that we're going to continue talking in that vein. Let's read from the book of Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Beginning with verse 3 to 7, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, the NLT. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift. Now, these are the first two children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Just giving us some context here. Abel also brought a gift 
the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now, hear the word of the Lord here. Those two young men brought before the Lord an offering. And the Bible is clear. God's, God accepted Abel and his gift. And he did not accept Cain and his gift. Do you know you can't just bring a gift to God unless you're also, there's something going on in your own life? No matter what your gift is, if there's something going on in your life that's not pleasing the Lord, then it contaminates the gift that you bring. It automatically disqualifies the gift that you bring. And the Bible is very clear that God did not accept Cain and neither his gift. And so when we come into the church and we come bringing our offering of praise to the Lord, let's make sure there's nothing inside of us that disqualifies our worship. This made Cain very angry. And he looked dejected. Verse 6. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. And why do you look so dejected? Verse 7. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out. Then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. The title of our message today is, What Do You Do When Sin Is Crouching At The Door? What do you do when sin is crouching at the door? You know, throughout the Bible, we see how God uses very illustrative language to communicate truth to us. And he used the illustrative language to communicate this warning to Cain. The picture which conjures up in my mind with the words, sin is crouching at the door. The picture is that of a lion who is preparing to pounce upon his prey. Now, I've seen enough National Geographic films to see how the lion crouches in the underbrush, underbrush before pouncing upon a deer or an antelope or whatever upon his prey. And the, and, and the key thing is, as I, I reflect on this picture, that the lion uses two things to capture its prey. He uses stealth. And he uses camouflage. He uses stealth and he uses camouflage. What do I mean by stealth? By stealth, the lion slowly and carefully approaches his victim. He doesn't come on his victim right away. He just gets in a crouch. You, can, you get the picture? <laughs> oh, I hate that when I see that happening. He gets in a crouch. 
And he just slowly, slowly moves his way. Stealthy. Sin, that's how sin approaches us. That's how it approaches us. It's stealthy. Crouches at the door and approaches his victim without attracting observation. That's what the line, you don't even know he's there. He comes so stealthy. He doesn't attract the others, other animals out there, and they're just munching on the grass and stuff like that, you know, looking at the sky and stuff like that. They don't even know he's there. He's just stealthy. That's how, that's the word, that's the, that's the language that God chose to tell us the warning of sin crouching at the door. It's stealthy. And then he uses another word. Another, the other word for this whole picture here is, is that of camouflage. And it's through camouflage that the lion's victim doesn't see and the lion's victim doesn't discern the danger that he's in. Watch that. You don't see it and you don't discern it. You think everything's okay. You see, you think everything is fine. But it's, it's, it, it's camouflage. The lion's, the color of the lion blends perfectly with the underbrush, the same color. And so even with the, 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 the screens, the camera shots, when the camera shoots at the lion, you can't see the lion because he's so camouflaged. He's so camouflaged that you can't even see it coming on you. And yet that is the language that God chose to use when talk, talking about sin. Sin is crouching at the door. The problem of sin which is crouching in the door, is throughout the Bible. It's throughout the whole Bible. And, and, and you can see it in the lives of people like David, whose adulterous affair happened when he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. This was after this, this major battle over the Ammonites. You can read it for yourself. And he had won the victory, and, and, and Israel had come out on top once again, and all their enemies were subdued. And now David, probably feeling very confident, very self-assured, patting himself on the back, I got this. When the Bible says when kings go out to war, David chose to stay home. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. A highly respected pastor said this, that it's often when we are not doing what we ought to be doing, that's when temptation pounces. Let me say that again. That it's often when we are not doing what we ought to be doing, that temptation pounces. Sin is crouching at the door. Another example is taken from the life of Ananias and Sapphira. 
It was the stories in the book of Acts, chapter 5. We won't go there, but you know the story. You need to read it. It's about when there was revival and there was a move of God in the early church there in Jerusalem. Great things were happening. Great things. They were experiencing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and fellowship with one another. And the Bible says that people were selling property out of this sense of compassion, out of this sense of benevolence that we want to help people who are poor and poor and needy. They were selling their property, bring it to the church to bless other people. And there was this grace upon them so that when they sold property, people bought it. Money was made to give to the poor. But Ananias and Sapphira said, ah, we can make money here. They saw it as an opportunity not to advance the kingdom of God, but to enhance their own personal wealth. Sin was crouching at the door. And so they just jumped in with everybody else. They sold their property. They probably stood up and made a testimony. We made this money, and now we're giving it to the church. Sin was crouching at the door. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter. And Peter came to them, Ananias, and said, Did you say this and this, that you sold the property for this, and you gave to this? And they said, Yes. Peter said, You liar. You kept some of that money. And just like that, Ananias and Sapphira fell down dead. Sin was crouching at the door. And then there's the life of Judas, which is the most obvious example of a person. One who should have been serving the Lord. One who walked with Jesus one of the 12 disciples, he saw the signs, he saw the wonders, he heard the teachings of Christ, he was even used in ministry, but his faith was insincere. His, his worship was superficial. His love for Christ was pretense. And sin was crouching at the door. And so that night when the Lord was having his final time of fellowship and supper, the Bible says the devil entered, loose, entered Judas. This entered him. Sin was crouching at the door. And so this, this statement that sin is crouching the door is a word that we need to, to hear, we need to pay attention to considering, considering the times that we are living in right now. Jesus prophesied in Matthew Chapter 24, that in the end times that there would be a great falling away from the faith. That's what he said. And we're going to look at a verse in a second here. We're not just looking about the Old Testament and past experiences and the early church. We're looking at sin crouching at the door in these end times. In these end times. Matthew 24, 10 says, 10 and 11 and 12 and many, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Verse 11. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. In these three verses, the word many shows up four times. 
many, many. Sin is crouching at the door. This falling away is already happening as we read the latest survey statistics from the Barna Group. They say that Christians are now a much smaller segment of the entire population in America. In 2000, only 45% of all those sampled qualified as being practicing Christians. Only 45%. I'm not talking about people who say, I go to church. And I'm talking about people that say, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm talking about people that meet the, 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 the most minimum requirements for what it means to be a practicing Christian. Meaning, do you go to church? Do you, do you read the Bible? And only 45% of those qualified as being practicing Christians. That was back in the year 2000. That percentage has consistently declined over the last 20 plus years. Now, just one in four Americans is a practicing Christian. What happened at the Grammy Awards? That would not have happened 20 years ago. That would not have happened 20 years ago. It would not have happened. But because, because darkness is coming into the world and less and less people are practicing Christians, the devil is more emboldened. He's just coming out of the closet. He's just coming out of the closet. Don't let your children see that. Don't let your children see that. Sin crouching the door was a primary issue from the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago that Paul was dealing with when he wrote letters to the church in Galatia, when he wrote letters to the church of Ephesus, when he wrote letters to the church of Rome and Colossae. He was dealing with this sin that was crouching at the door inside the church at the door of the hearts of people who were believers. Paul said this in his writing to the Corinthians, a church that, was, that knew what revival, that knew all these wonderful things. But he writes this letter, and in his letter he says this, Paul, writing to the believers, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. I can hardly believe the report. Something that even pagans don't do. Whoa. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. And you are so proud of yourselves. But you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. I know as we read these kinds of words, strong words, but necessary words, when you can't mess around when sin is crouching at the door. You, get, you can't, from the day of, of, of Cain and all throughout history, whenever we're at that place when, 
when, when, when sin is right there through stealth, through deception, through camouflage, it's right there ready to consume you. You, you can't be mealy-mousy about what you say. That's why sometimes the words that are spoken have to be strong. When you think about the Corinthian church and, and what Paul was saying about them, you, you scratch your head and you say, but weren't these the people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit? And isn't this the church that they, they, so many people were speaking in tongues that, that Paul had to say, you need to stop speaking so much. You need to let other people. Was this the church where all the gifts of the Spirit are manifested in, in their gatherings? Yes, to all of that. But there was still an element of carnality that in spite of all, all the manifestations, there was carnality rather than spirituality. You see, to be spirit-filled involves more than speaking in tongues. More than prophesying, more than just doing miracles. Being spirit-filled means having victory over the impulses, over the desires of the flesh. Folks, no matter as long as we're in the world today, there's always going to be war between the spirit and the flesh. Always. The book of Galatians say that. They always bump heads all the time. And that's why to a certain degree... We're all facing sin crouching the door until this old man is forever gone. Hallelujah, I can't wait. I can't wait. When sin is crouching at the door. Being spirit-filled means living with power that crucifies fleshly desires. It means living with power that produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ within us. You see, being Spirit-filled is not just an identifier of a particular denomination. Oh, you're Spirit-filled, so you must be charismatic. You must be, uh, you must be assemblies of God or four square, or you must be holiness, or you must be a faith church. Being spirit-filled is not just an identifier of where you affiliate as, as you go to church. It's not. Rather, being spirit-filled is the determining factor when sin is crouching at the door. Are you going to be an overcomer or are you going to be overcome? See, that's the issue. It's not your, your church affiliation. It's how you are responding to the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, I, I said the title of our message today, What to Do When Sin is Crouching at the Door. When Paul's summary statement is Romans about all these issues. A summary statement is found in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 12. Beginning with 12, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Pastor Steve talked about we have a choice, which is the same words. We have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh 
to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, for you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Believers had to be reminded what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to live in the Holy Spirit. You see, in the first century church, normal Christianity was doing life with the Holy Spirit and life in the Holy Spirit. That was normal Christianity. That was not being Pentecostal. That was not being assemblies of God. That was not being holiness. That was just being normal Christian. To be a normal Christian, you did life with the Holy Spirit. You lived in the Holy Spirit. That was normal Christianity. And when you get away from what is normal Christianity, sin that crouches at the door will lead you into devastating outcomes. And it gets worse and worse. Do you know some of the people that we minister to in the streets of the city? The people who are in the worst positions in life are people who are backslidden. Those who have been in church, who know scripture, those are living the worst kind of life. Because that's the nature of sin that's crouching at the door. The big problem with believers today is that they're trying to live the Christian life without the power, without the presence, without the protection of the Holy Spirit. You're trying to live a life that cannot be fully lived apart from the Holy Spirit. There is no way that we can meet the standards of God's righteousness in our own strength. No way. You can't do it. Stop even, stop even trying it. And I hear so often people say, when we say, how are you doing? Well, we're just trying to make it. Just trying to make it. Well, when you say that, I know one thing. You're not making it. Because if you are trying to make it, you're not making it. You're not making it. And if we go a little bit further, we know that the sin crouching at your door has taken you over. But too many Christians are trying to live the Christian life without the power, without the presence, without the protection of the Holy Spirit. And instead of being overcomers, they are overcome by the sin which is crouching at the door. And that's why believers, so many, are falling out. They're just falling out. They're just falling out. Just falling out. As I meditated on the word last week, my mind went to Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible when Paul said to the Galatian believers, Galatians 5.25. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, with godly character, 
and moral courage, our conduct being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Pastor Steve said, the Holy Spirit is either active or dormant in your life. And I'm going to just say something from that. You can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit without being intimate with the Holy Spirit. You can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit in meaning that you can identify when the Holy Spirit moves, you, you can say, oh, the Holy Spirit's moving. And we experience that here at the worship service. We experience that when we, 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 we join in with the worship team. And when we hear the preaching, we, we, can, we, we, we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit enough that we know when he's moving. But we're not intimate with the Holy Spirit so that when we leave this environment, as wonderful as it is, without the music, without the worship team, without the preaching, the word of God, we step out, our relationship with the Holy Spirit stops. It comes to an end. In our mind, intellectually, we believe he's there. But because we've not cultivated an intimate relationship with him, then we're just walking on our own. And we're just doing it ourselves. We're just living life on ourselves. It can't be done. God never designed us to do it, live life that way. It, it was never designed that way. It was never his plan. Living by the Spirit is more than being endowed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is living in an intimate relationship with the third person of the Godhead. He's not just the force is with you. He's not just the force that's within you. He's a person just like the Father is a person. Like Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And one of the reasons why we grieve the Holy Spirit because we don't treat him like a person. The Bible says you can grieve him, you can vex him. And why is that? Because you don't recognize me, you don't look to me, you don't trust me, you don't believe that I can make you an overcomer. And so he's grieved, he's vexed because we resist the Holy Spirit. We need the fullness of the Godhead. We need the Father who is the one who sent his Son to the world. And Scripture says that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. We're here today, we're here in this church, not because we one day decided to be churchgoers or do-gooders. We are here today because the Father drew us. Come into my Son. That's why we're here. The Father drew us. I want you to know my son. Jesus came into the world to reveal the father. To give us life. To, to reveal the father. You know, some of us want to know, oh, I want to know God. That's what the disciples said one day, Lord, show us the father. And Jesus looked at him and said, what? Show us the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he lived his whole life in such a way that every one of us today can say, this was what God is like. Every one of us can say that. Why? Because Jesus lived exactly as the Father. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into the world. 
And the Holy Spirit comes into the world as a person with one primary singular mission, to testify of Jesus Christ. That is his primary ministry. Jesus said he won't speak of himself, but what he hears from me, he'll tell you. His whole ministry is not to build up himself, even though he's a third person of the Godhead. He is the very God of the very God. But his ministry in our lives, I want you to know Jesus. That is the ministry and the mission of the Holy I want you to know him, what he thinks, how he feels, what he does. I want you to know Jesus. That is the mission, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so many of us are walking lives clueless about the will and purpose of God because we will not allow the Holy Spirit to be who he is in our lives. We will not do that. And therefore, we walk around as Christian misfits. When the Holy Spirit comes in the world, he gives us a spirit of Abba, Father. <laughs> Abba, Father, Papa God. I want to talk to you about three areas, primary areas, where the Holy Spirit works in our lives. I, I just, this has been, this, these three things have been life transforming for me in my life. As every day, I, I must yield myself, surrender myself, be totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Every day. There are three areas where I know the Holy Spirit is always at work in our lives. And I'll give them to you very briefly, and I'll go over each one of them. Number one, the Holy Spirit comes to shape our hearts. Number one, he comes to shape our hearts. Number two, the Holy Spirit will transform our thinking. Number three, the Holy Spirit will dictate our conduct. Shape our hearts, trans shape our hearts, transform our thinking, and dictate our conduct. Let's, let's get into each one of these things. The Holy Spirit will shape our hearts. Jesus kind of prepared us for this when he said in John chapter 7, 37 through 38. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38. Jesus prepared us for the Holy Spirit. He said this, John 7, 37 to 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said, here it is, 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the Holy Spirit, as Jesus prophesied, that the work of the Holy Spirit would be first evidenced in the heart of believers. That's how you will know. It will be evidenced in the heart of believers that the Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit's work is primarily, he comes and begins in our hearts, where he shapes our hearts. Centuries before this, 
the prophet Ezekiel spoke the word of the Lord. In chapter 36, verse 26 through 27, Ezekiel prophesied, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. How many of you know that we had stony, stubborn hearts before Jesus? And Ezekiel said, I will take out that stony, stubborn heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So that the first sign and evidence of a new heart is that, is that all of a sudden you, you, you're the place, the heart, which represents the seat of our emotions. It is the seat of our personality. Our personhood is in the heart. Something changes in your heart, which is produced not by what we do, but by the Holy Spirit. He just comes and just, just shapes things. And suddenly your heart is changed. It's not manufactured by man. It's not manufactured by religion. It's been manufactured. It's created by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does, it gives us a heart, brothers and sisters. This is very important. The first thing the Holy Spirit does, it gives us a heart to love God. I don't know about you, but I remember the first time I received the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, I had a love for God that I never had before. I don't, I, you know, I, I had to start loving God. That was the first thing that changed in my life. Before I even could really flow in the gifts of the Spirit or flow in tongues, I just began to love God. I don't know. It just came, and it came by the Holy Spirit. It was not self-generated. This came outside of me. The Holy Spirit worked inside of me, shaped my heart. The first thing he deposited, love God. Love God. And it wasn't a mechanical or some kind of religious thing. There was a sincere tenderness, as Ezekiel says, a tenderness into my heart for a God who I had never seen. I'd never seen him, but I loved him. Can anybody relate to that? <laughs> I never saw him, but I loved him. That was a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you the heart to obey the first great commandment. That's the first thing it does. I'm going to give you a heart to obey the first great commandment, which is what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, Soul and all with all your mind. He gives, he, he immediately fulfills that commandment in our heart. And when he suddenly comes in, he goes straight to the heart. Change your heart so you can just fulfill that. I want you to love God. You see, that is going to be the key to discern false prophets. People who will move in false signs and wonders. You will know them because they will have no love for God. They will love themselves, but there will be no love for God. That's how you'll be able to discern 
false prophets from true prophets. You can see it in their own lives. There's a callousness. There's a hardness. There's this, this, this thing of promoting self-image. They have no love for God. But a true prophet of the Lord, a true man or woman filled with the Spirit, the first element that will be radiating from their life, this man loves God. This woman loves God. You can see it. You can hear it. Everything about it. They love God. Because that is the primary work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You love God. The secondly, you will begin to love yourself. You'll begin to love yourself. Out of our love for God will flow a love for yourself. Recognizing that you are God's image bearer. That you are God, that I am God's image bearer. That you and I have great value and great worth. No matter what people have said about us. No matter what people have thought about us in the past. Suddenly, you don't see your, uh, yourself through the eyes of people. You're beginning to see your, yourself through the eyes of God. And through the eyes of God, you and I have great value and worth. And we can start loving ourselves in a way that pleases the Lord. We are created in his image and created in his likeness. And you see, this is important because loving God and loving yourself gives us the ability to love other people. Thus fulfilling the second great commandment, which says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can't love yourself in the right kind of way, there's no way in the world you're going to love your neighbor. It's not, you're not going to be able to do it. It's not going to happen. This is not going to happen. If you can't love yourself in the right kind of way, you can't love your wife in the right kind of way. You can't love your husband. You can't love your children in the right kind of way. The only way you can love the way God loves is first coming into loving God. And the only way that can happen is allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate that in your life. Praise God. We can go on, but let's go to the next point. The Holy Spirit will transform our thinking. I want us to read, go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Beginning with verse 1, reading out of the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, in a time right now where there is so much confusion about the very essential aspects of who we are as human beings, there should not be that confusion in the church. We should not allow the thinking of the church to influence us so that we now doubt who we are or where we're going. But it's by way of the Holy Spirit that our minds are being transformed. Our thinking is being transformed. And it's the Holy Spirit that changes the way we think. I'm not going to even use the word reprogram because that sounds so mechanical. 
I'm going to just say that the Holy Spirit invades our lives. Not only goes to our heart, but goes to our mind. And absolutely takes our mind. And takes our mind and just begins to do a, just a complete makeover of how we think. The Holy Spirit merges his thoughts with our thoughts. So that we, so that we can live and advocate for the will of God. Which is good, pleasing, and perfect. You know, don't you love it that we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us? The Bible says, who knows the mind of God? The Bible says the Holy Spirit, he alone knows the mind of God. He searches out the deep things of God. There is nothing the Holy Spirit doesn't know. Don't, wouldn't you want that person in your life? <laughs> who searches the deep things of God? who desires to bring those things into your awareness and, and bring that kind of knowledge to your being, do you know it will just change you? We shall know the truth, the Bible says, and the truth will what? Set you free. See, the carnal mind, the mind that's still dependent upon the responses and the impulses of the flesh is often so judgmental based on outward circumstantial things. And, and most of us have had those times when we'll see someone coming, someone we don't even know. This is how the carnal mind thinks. Someone we don't even know. We don't even know their name. This is the first time we've seen them. And as soon as we see them, in our carnal minds, we say, uh-oh, here comes trouble. Where'd that come from? The carnal mind, here comes trouble. But the spirit-filled mind works in us to change the, the, the way we think. So that when we see somebody coming, no matter what that person might look like or in their non-verbal behavior, we don't say, here comes trouble. We say, here comes opportunity. Opportunity for someone who needs Opportunity for someone who needs to experience the love of God. I remember we were in Nyssen, New York School of Urban Ministry with a team. It was so neat. It was, we, there were people who sleep, you know, on the streets in cardboard boxes. And one of, one of the, the sisters on our team was, was an amazing work of the Spirit. We saw the people and we wondered, what? People are living this way. And I turned to, to, to talk to this sister. I didn't know where she was. I looked around her. I could look around to find her to see where she was. She had gotten on her knees and crawled in the box. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. She had gotten on her knees, crawled into the box to witness to this person that was in the box. She saw an opportunity. She saw an opportunity. That's how God can change your thinking. Don't worry. You're not going to nice and to crawl in the boxes, okay? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 to 24 says, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, reading out of the Amplified, says that regarding your previous way of life, <coughs> you put off your old self, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires. 
and be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind. Hear the words? Being continually renewed in the spirit of your mind. We should not have the mind of this world. And put on the new self created in God's image and the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Let's go to the final point. This is the final point, and we'll stop with this. The Holy Spirit will dictate our conduct, which is what we say and what we do. will dictate the conduct. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, stated that the ultimate goal of the universe is to show the glory of God. It is the reason for everything that exists. Without God's glory, there would be nothing. Without God's glory, there would be nothing. And so in light of that powerful and profound statement that none of us could rightly respond to because we have within ourselves no natural ability to live in such a way. Rick Warren says this, but we are commanded to recognize God's glory, to honor his glory, to declare his glory, to praise his glory, to reflect his glory, and to live for his glory. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For everything comes from him, and everything exists by his power, and intended for his glory. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. It would be utterly impossible for us, for humankind, to live in such a life on our own that in every word, that in every deed, God's glory is being manifested. Musicians, worship team, please come up. There's no way impossible you can do that. And God never intended for us to try to accomplish that when he knows that we don't have that within ourselves. We don't have the capacity to live that way. And that's why he sent us the Holy Spirit with the purpose of whole of life is to always manifest the presence of God. He had to send us the Holy Spirit so that our lives could conform with this ultimate purpose in life. So that whatever we do, wherever we go, our lives are always, always manifesting the glory of God. And it changes your life. It changes your perspective on life. It changes your marriage. My wife and I are almost 49 years of marriage. I love her now more than I did when I first met her. Boy, and I thought that was something. And, 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 and wait a minute now. I'm not trying to be, you know, ah, you know I'm not trying to get on my own. <clears throat> But sometimes I just look at her and she says, why are you looking at me, you know? And uh, I don't tell her this. 
but I am admiring the glory of God. I'm admiring the fact that there's a woman that's still praising God. If she could live with me for 49 years and still praise God, wow! 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 And put up with all my stuff. Wow! The honor, always honor and always praise God. I believe that the civil rights movement, when it first started back in the early 60s, was motivated by the glory of God. I believe that it was motivated by always pursuing God's will, God's purposes. I believe that the spirit of, of all the sit-down movements and all the marches was to bring America to a place where black and whites and browns and yellows could love one another. That was for the glory of God. But sin was crouching at the door. Sin was crouching at the door. And the movement was invaded by secularists, unbelievers. People had different agendas, different motivations, and it killed the movement. Killed the movement. And it became a vehicle for many unclean and impure things. It became a vehicle for very ungodly things that now advocate for civil rights because they hooked on to the civil rights movement when secularists had taken it over. I'm going to stop there. Go ahead and play, brother. John chapter 16 in closing. John 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Verse 14. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. He will bring me glory. If we're to live a life that truly brings God glory, then it is absolutely essential that we live in the Spirit and we walk by the Spirit. Let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit, you see all things. You know all things. Holy Spirit, you know us better than we know ourselves. But you will not. You will not impose your will upon us until we surrender and we welcome your presence. Right now, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Help us to move from being just related to you to being intimate with you. Move us from just a casual relationship to being in an intimate relationship with you. 
Holy Spirit, help us to know that our bodies are the temple where you live and where you dwell. And yet, Lord, oftentimes we do not appropriate what you come into our lives to do and to bring. We want to pray like David. When David messed up, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore, give me a right spirit. Holy Spirit, give us the right heart. Give us the right mind. Give us the right conduct that will overcome the sin which is crouching at the door. We ask that, Lord. You are the answer that we need. And the day and the time that we're living in right now, we need more of you. More of you. So open us up. Be rivers of living water in us. We don't want you to be dormant in our lives. We want you to be active in our lives as a river flowing, a spring flowing, overflowing in our lives. Be active in our lives. Thanks again for listening to our Faith Church podcast. We are so glad you chose to listen to this message. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive notifications when we release new content. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Faith Church Rock to find out more information about what is currently happening at Faith Church.